Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. We're in this 21-day season of prayer and fasting, and through prayer and fasting through listening to the Holy Spirit and to yielding to Him, our lives are changed and transformed. And we can be transformed by the love of God. The love of God, when we receive His love, will transform our lives. And so during this season of prayer and fasting, I'm asking you to join us as we fast and pray and we intentionally seek Him and His heart. Amen? All right. So I want to talk a little bit about fasting. Uh, we're in Today we'll conclude day five. How are you guys doing? Everybody good? Some of you fasting? Some of you waiting to fast? Whatever. Uh, I just wanted to say a couple of things about that. Listen to your body, okay? Do not listen to your flesh because your flesh will say, oh, you, you need to get off this fast. You, know, you need to go get some cupcakes and ice cream and enchiladas right now. So listen to your body, and if you're feeling a little weak, you know, one of the things that I've done is uh, drink some broth or some brothy soup or maybe some juice over crushed ice, and you, as you just kind of drink that juice, the sweetness of it and, and sucking on those ice chips will kind of re revitalize you a little bit. So listen to your body, but I want to say that I'm so proud of you. I've talked to some people in life groups, and they said, well, you know, in the past... I fasted a few hours, or I fasted a day, maybe two, but this year, I'm going to press in. I'm going to press in a little bit more. So I'm so very proud of all of you, and I know that there will be eternal rewards from our fasting, but also rewards for now as God gives us clarity. And, and so I just want to uh, thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, I know that, that prayer changes things, and when we fast and pray, that God moves and our sensitivity increases. Have you noticed that your sensitivities have increased? Maybe your emotional sensitivity, maybe your physical sensitivities, uh, you're able to smell things, uh, you know, just fruit and things like that is more pungent. Well, it also increases our spiritual awareness and sensitivity. And so uh, Julia uh, told me this, or she wrote this down, and, and I asked Julia, if I could use it, and she said, yeah, sure. She said, I don't know if, if that's something the Lord revealed to me or I read it somewhere, but dieting changes the way we look. <laughs> Fasting changes the way we see. Ah, isn't that good? That is awesome. So we're in this series, Prepare, and today I'll be talking about changes. As the world goes, grows colder and darker, the hope that we have and that the world has is only found in Jesus. And, you know, just not just in America, we see the changes happening and all the things going on, but it's happening globally across the world. And I think God is setting us up for a time for revival because, you know, people many times, they don't look for the Lord until they get into a jam, right? And they're like, oh, God, I need you now. And then, then God comes to their aid and their rescue, and they're like, okay, God, I got this now. I'm good. But listen, the world may not realize how much they need the Lord in their life until things get really bad. You know, sometimes uh, 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 somebody on drugs or alcohol, they don't, they don't realize the shape, and they don't reach out for help until they hit rock bottom. So, you know, we don't need to do that, but the world... Uh, 
really needs Jesus. And I'm surprised at how quickly things are deteriorating. Maybe because I'm old. I don't know. <laughs> but when you look at, at how things are changing so rapidly, it's, it's alarming. And so how do we navigate the challenges and the things that are happening, the radical changes that are happening in the world around us? Well, I have an answer, and it's found in our mission and our target that we talk about and that we focus on so often here. It's my first point, intimacy with Jesus Christ. He is our goal and target. He is our answer. The political system can't fix it. Your doctor can't fix it. Only Jesus can fix this mess that we're in. God's love in and through us is life-changing. It not only changes us, but it changes the people around us. It changes the world around us. And uh, the world can't make these changes because they don't have the power. They don't have the Lord in their life. Sometimes they are part of the problem. Because when we take God out of our society, when we refuse to yield to the Lord, we, we can expect that there's going to be issues and problems in our lives. Now, when we receive the Lord, it doesn't mean we never have any more problems. But certainly we have Him to call upon. The Pharisees were often trying to trap Jesus. We see that over and over again. And I'm going to read some scripture today that is very familiar with the Live Fellowship family here. You've heard these scriptures before. But I'm thinking that we really need to, to consider these words. And maybe through our prayer and fasting, maybe we're opened up a little bit more to the Word than, than we have been. But in Matthew 22, 36-40, uh, again, the religious leaders are trying to chap, uh, trap Jesus. And they say, Teacher, which is, the, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, We've heard that scripture hundreds of times if you've been coming to Life Fellowship. But have you ever really stopped to think about it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What happens when we really take God's word at face value and what he's saying to us and really begin to implement that in our lives, to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind? That, that's full in. That's jumping in full. And I think this is a process, if you look at any relationship that you have, it, it's built over time. I love my wife more now than when I met her when we first started dating and after we got married, because that is a relationship that has been developed over time. And even if you look at the disciples, they walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And that, those relationships were developed over time. And even being further developed after Jesus was crucified for our sins, died on the cross, went to the grave, was resurrected, walked on this earth, and then was, was taken into heaven, their relationship, the apostles' relationship, was still being built with Jesus through the Holy Spirit because of all that he had imparted into their lives. And I think that they were beginning to understand, they were beginning to grasp and understand the things that Jesus was teaching them. Because there, there are places in the Word where Jesus said, I want, to, you know, I want to show you more, I want to teach you more, I want to tell you more, but you just can't grasp it right now. So where are we in this process? Are we yielding to the Lord? Are we growing in this relationship? So you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. 
Okay, I know we've heard these scriptures and we're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard these. But do, do we really have that in our hearts? Are our lives being changed? Are we being filled with a greater measure of love that we really love God, that we really love our neighbor? If your trash can is rolling around in the street, will you stop and pick it up? Take it in the garage? <clears throat> Throw it in your neighbor's yard? I don't know. You'll do something with it, right? <clears throat> but what if your neighbor's trash can is rolling around in the street? Do you love them as yourself? Or do you just drive around it? Hopefully it's not like this. <laughs> Run over it. But do we really love our neighbor as ourselves? The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know, that's really it. Love is, is the key here. Loving God and loving one another. And so today I'm talking about change. A change is needed in the church. A change is needed in our lives. So we need to grow in this love. Not just talk about it. Not just say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I love you. Do you really love me? Do you, do you love me as much as you love yourself? <laughs> A second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I think about this, <clears throat> I've thought about this loving myself. Well, that sounds so unchristian. That sounds so selfish. Oh, I love myself. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here where we're self-absorbed. But if we're healthy and, uh, you know, we, we're healed in our life, we should love ourselves. It's, it's not uh, uh, normal for somebody to be abusing themselves and hating themselves. And so he's talking about loving God, in the, loving God and loving ourselves in the proper manner. Our security is in who we are begins when we understand who we are in Christ. Our security in who we are begins as we understand who we are in Christ. Um, I think that there, there's so much emphasis that it's hard for people it's so much emphasis on performance that it's hard for people to receive unconditional love. And if we hate ourselves, if, we don't if we're not healthy in understanding who God made us to be, I'm no longer a slave to fear. What did we sing about? I am a child of God. We sang that, okay? And, and so we sang that over and over and over and over again. Why do we keep singing? I'm a child of God. Maybe we need to get it. Because when we understand who we are in Christ, it will change our life. It will bring a security, not an arrogance into our lives, but a security of who we are. That we are a child of God. And so as, as I was working on this message, I thought, this is basic and fundamental Christianity. This is basic, right? You've heard these scriptures. But then I thought, is it really basic and fundamental? Because... If we're not grasping the fullness of this, then we haven't grasped the basics and the fundamental things that Jesus came to give us and to teach us. Do you know others that, that will say, yeah, yeah, I know God loves me, I, I know that, but they really don't believe it? They really don't receive it? And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, hey, well, God can love everybody else, but I don't think he can love me. Do you know what he's done? And, and, and uh, do you know what I've done in my life? How can he love me like that? 
Well, I don't know what, he, what you've done in your life, and you don't know what I've done in my life. But it doesn't matter. God's grace and mercy is here for us. And if we don't, if we don't believe that, if we don't receive that, if we can't accept that, we're never going to walk in the fullness of what God has created us to be and to walk in. These are basic fundamental truths. Um, there's so much emphasis put on performance, even in the church. But what about transformance? What about being transformed? So when you come on Sunday morning, this is one of the goals, is that we be filled with the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and that God changes our heart and lives when we go to life groups. We're building those relationships with one another and growing in our, our, our faith in God. But I was even thinking about some of the performance in the church. And I've shared some of these stories with you, so, so some of you will recognize these. But, you know, I went to a church, and the, uh, the dress code was for men was suit and tie, you know, the whole thing. I'm so glad. Thank you, Jesus. We don't do that here. <laughs> The only time I wear a suit and ties at a funeral or a wedding, and that's about it. Uh, but the dress code was for men was a suit and tie, and women had to wear a dress and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have to wear a dress, but most of them did. But if you walked in the foyer and you didn't meet the dress code, you get one of these. Hmm. Hmm. And then another church that we went to, that we, they had these ladies... We called them the fashion patrol, fashion patrol. And some of them worked at Dillard's. And so they would get a discount on their clothes and things like that. And they always dressed to the nines. They always looked really nice. And there's nothing wrong with looking nice, okay? But they would talk about these other women that didn't meet their standard. And I'm thinking, okay, you're talking about her. Why don't you say, honey, let's go to Dillard's. Now let's buy you an outfit, let's buy you a, a pantsuit or you know, blouse or whatever. And I remember too, at, at a church we were at, I was on the praise and worship team and there was a mandate that came down from leadership that they wanted everybody to wear a suit and tie and, on the platform. And you know, as a drummer, I'm like, I don't want to be wearing a coat, but okay, I'll put on a coat. But there was this one guy. And he was a guitar player, and he was, he was pretty accomplished. He was fairly accomplished, but he was a new believer. And he didn't have a lot of money. And he wasn't able to really do that. But then this mandate came down, and so I think he went to Goodwill or somewhere and, and bought a suit to meet the legal restrictions and legalistic part of the law here, what we had to do. And, and you know, I think if you're on the platform, you should present yourself well, you know. Uh, you should dress accordingly. You're representing the Lord and things like that. But he looked more out of place fulfilling the law than he did not because the suit was outdated. He stood out. And I guess I should have went and bought him a suit, you know. I guess I should have done that. But here's the thing. Do we put those kind of demands on people? So there should be more emphasis on the transformation that God is doing in our hearts and lives. Many place their, their hope in a political party or a specific prime minister, social media. Well, how good do I look? What do others think about me? Have you seen some of the people on social media? It's like picture of themselves and picture of themselves. You know, and they, 
some of the women do the lip thing? <laughs> or they stick out their tongue? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's sexy. You, you know, but people are looking for some hope. <laughs> They're looking for acceptance. But have we put so much emphasis on ourselves that that's what's driving us? What, what does the Lord think about me? Now, these things that I'm talking about, they truly have an impact and an influence on us and in our world. They do, okay? So I'm not saying they, they don't. But the Word says that we are not of this world. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and that is our home and we're just passing through here. So the word says that, uh, you know, that we shouldn't acquiesce to the culture and the things of the world, but we should stand for God and stand for Him. Again, we're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And so we're called to, to be a light, to share the hope and the love of Christ with others. If, if there's no light in us, how are we making a difference? I've said this over the past few weeks, and I want us to get this again. The spiritual realm impacts the physical realm, and the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm. Let me give you an example. As guests come here, and they give us feedback, many of the comments, I would say most of the comments, where they comment, they, they talk about the warmth and the friendliness here at Life Fellowship. Now, have you ever been to a church where maybe it's a small church and there, there aren't very many people there, and so you walk in and obviously you're a guest and nobody speaks to you, nobody talks to you? Now, <clears throat> when that happens, how does that affect your receptivity to what the Lord wants to do in that service? Are you starting to think about, well, you know, I, I wonder why nobody spoke to me. Did, did I offend somebody? Did I, you know, you may be missing the heart of what God wants to do in your life because you're thinking about something else. But most of the comments talk about the warmth and, and the friendliness, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And you guys are a major part of preparing that environment as you reach out. You know, somebody may be having a terrible day and, and your hug and your love and your acceptance and your friendliness and your warmth may be exactly what they need. And it, it, it may prepare them to receive what God has for them that morning. They feel the love. And, and uh, recently somebody commented on the impact of your engagement in worship. That they were like, wow. And several people have commented on this. That, wow, these people really engage in worship. And it touches my heart sometimes to hear y'all singing. Because I know you're engaged, you're worshiping. It's not about singing a song it's about engaging with the Lord. And any time we engage with Him, He does something. It changes our heart. It changes our life. And I'm so moved by this because it makes my heart happy to see people engage with the Lord, growing in the Lord. That's what keeps me doing this. That's what keeps me going is seeing the Lord moving, not just in your lives, but my life. And then seeing the opportunity that we have, the opportunities that we have before us. 
and saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Which opportunities do you want us to pursue? And so that's some of the things that you can be praying for. And, and so this not only touches my heart, but more importantly, it's the heart of the Father. It reflects his heart. And a culture that has God's heart invites others to join in. So as we engage with him, maybe somebody that's coming has never, ever really engaged with the Lord. Maybe they've engaged in religion. But maybe they've never really experienced what we experience here on a weekly basis. And so your love, your example, your demonstration can invite them. Say, hey, wait, this is a safe place. I can just reach out to God and it's okay. Because others, I see others reaching out. And it's okay. The catalyst to the changes we need are found and demonstrated in love. It's all about love. You've heard this, and I don't know who said this, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you can, you can quote Scripture all day long, but somebody that doesn't know Scripture, somebody that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, does that really mean anything to them? But when we begin to reach out in love, and they know that somebody cares about them, wow, that can be life-changing for them. Life-altering for them, for their family. The things in the spiritual realm impact the physical realm. And the things in the physical realm impact the spiritual realm. And God is partnering with us to reach people and to live this abundant life. He, he doesn't need us. But he chooses to have a relationship with us. He chooses to give us giftings and callings so that we can go out and, and do the great commission that Jesus said to do. Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, bad, baptizing them. What would the church look like if we fully embraced God's grace, mercy, and love toward us? What would the church look like? No, 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 no. I mean, really, let's think about this for a minute. Because, oh, that's nice, Pastor Mark. Oh, that's really nice. What if the church fully embraced grace, mercy, and love toward us and toward others? What would that really look like? What if we really grasp a scripture that I'm going to read here in a moment that you've heard dozens of times? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. We have to believe. But we don't have to perform. We just have to receive. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's not something that we earn. It is a gift from him. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Because we would. Oh, look what I've done. I'm God's favorite because of all the things that I've done. For we are God's masterpiece. And I know you've heard this scripture. You, you are God's masterpiece. In fact, tell your neighbor, you're God's masterpiece. Reciprocate, okay? Now, now this is what I want you to do. Tell him, no, 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 really, you are God's masterpiece. I think I see everyone smiling in here. 
What if we really grasp that concept, that truth? It's more than a concept. It's a truth. We would live differently. I think we would look at other people differently. The pimp, the prostitute, the child molester. Oh, I struggle with that one. God loves them. And he wants to see them come into a relationship so he can transform their life like he's doing in our lives, like he's done in our life. And so we are God's masterpiece. He created us. We're, the Word says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so the little uh, quirks that you have and your strengths and your propensities and the way you see things, God created you that way. Aren't you glad He didn't cre create everyone the same? Can you imagine a world that was exactly like you? <laughs> I have a nuclear holocaust right off the bat. I, I can't stand you. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Again, I know we've heard these scriptures, but let's hear them differently. Let's really receive the fullness of what God is trying to say to us. Because as we get this, things will be changed when we go out and... Ah, right on cue. So this morning, I want us to really, you know, be open to what the Lord is saying. What if we believed all of the Word... What if we quit looking to performance for acceptance from God and just received what He has for us? Listen, if, if people in the church don't get this basic fundamental truths, how can we expect people in the world to get it? If, if, we, if we really don't believe it, if we really don't receive it, if we really don't live this thing out, how can we expect people that don't know the Lord to, to have any understanding if, if we don't, and if we don't demonstrate it. We need to walk in God's love and demonstrate it to others so that they may encounter Jesus. So my first point is intimacy with Jesus Christ is our goal. He is the target. And my second point this morning is godly love is the catalyst for true change. Um, so let's go to Ephesians 5, 1 through 11. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Imitate God. Okay, so how do we do that? In character, in love, grace, mercy. Walking in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and ooh, self-control. I need some help with that one. And then he goes on to write, Paul goes on to write, writing, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the early church, right? And he says in, in verse 2, live a life filled with love. Stop! Wait a minute. Live a life filled with love? Oh, let me do a little evaluation here. Is my life filled with love? Well, let's see. Yesterday when I was on I-45, hmm, maybe I need to work on that a little bit. Is our life filled with love? Can't get any more in because we're full. Are we overflowing? My, first, my uh, favorite scripture is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. 
Let's read on, Ephesians 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. He's writing to the church. He's writing to us. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. You ever engage in those at work around the coffee bar? There was a, a conference room where Steve and I used to work. It's called the 420. It was the 420 conference room, and so we called it the 420 conference room lunch group. <laughs> and most of the time, <clears throat> uh, I would eat lunch with a group of Christians. We, uh, I facilitated a Bible study that we had at work, and so people would come when they could, and we we would read the Bible and we would talk about. Uh, you know, the Lord and what He was doing in our lives and building relationships and, and, and those kinds of things. But occasionally, uh, there wouldn't be anybody coming to lunch that day, maybe work schedules or whatever. And so occasionally, I'd go to the 420 group lunch. <laughs> and I, I tried to be a light there. I didn't really engage in their course jesting. But, you know, frankly, sometimes I would pack up my lunch. I said, okay, I'll see you later. I'm going back to my office. It would get so bad. But you know what? There was, a, there was a, a gentleman that used to go. He was kind of the ringleader of that group. And he, he called me one day or, you know, saw me in the hallway or something and said, Hey, I was wondering if you guys would pray for me. I've got a medical issue. You know, he, he couldn't take that to the 420 group. But he knew where he could take it. And so there are people in your lives that are stuck in the 420 group, but they're watching us. Hey, can I talk to you for a moment? Will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So are we thanking God? You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of, of Christ and of God. Wow, wow, wow. Wait a minute. Ooh. Did you just make that up? No? It's right there. Now, I know that we're all a work in progress, okay? All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. and We all have failings or trials or tribulations that maybe we don't do well in so we can come to God and, and ask forgiveness. And, you know, one of the scriptures <clears throat> that has really gotten my attention over the years is when they come to Jesus and they said, but Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name and we did signs and wonders. We did all these things in power. And Jesus says, depart from me. I don't know you. So it's not even in the things we do. It's not even in the signs and wonders. It's found in a relationship with Him. He wants to know us. He's not so concerned about the things that we do. 
It's who we are in Him, that we have a relationship with Him. And I think the church should be moving in power as we pray for people. We've, we've seen people healed. We've seen people restored, marriages restored, lives restored. But not every, everyone we pray for gets healed. And, and, you know, that's perplexing to me. Honestly, it is. Because we're praying in faith. We know God can do it, and, and we believe. But, you know, I think there comes a point when we have to trust God and say, Lord, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for them like I'm praying for myself. And then we, we yield to you, whatever you decide, God, because you are supreme. <laughs> we think we know it all. We think we're God sometimes, maybe. But he is. He goes on to say, and again, who's he writing to? For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Are you worshiping things of the world? Are we hungry for God? Are we worshiping Him? Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. When we disobey, there are consequences for our sin. But for eternity, those who have not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will stand before God and be judged. We won't because we've accepted Him. We're like, hey, we're, we're with Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know. Come on in. Now, God's going to look at our works, our obedience. Did we do what he called us to do? And there's rewards for that. But my hope is not in the rewards that I get. My hope is in my relationship with him. That's greater than any reward I could ever get. He goes on to write in verse 7, don't participate in these, these uh, don't participate in the things these people do. Don't participate in these things that these people do. Are we compromising our lives? For once you were full of darkness. I was. There was a time when I wasn't walking with the Lord. And I know some of you weren't either. For once you were full of darkness. But now, hey, here's some hope right now. But now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Come on, man. We need to live as people of light. There should be a difference and a change in us that's happening as we yield to the Lord and He's transforming our life to look more like Him, to be more like Him, to love more like Him, to have grace like Him, to have mercy like Him. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So as we're fasting and praying right now, we're saying, Lord, what do you have for me for this season, for this year? We should be doing that every day, really. Lord, what do you have for me today? What is going to please you? Verse 11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Almost every year around Halloween, Pastor Christine teaches on the background of Halloween and what it represents and uh, talks about why we shouldn't be involved in that. And yet, there are people that have been in this church that uh, clearly understand the basic fundamentals of Halloween and what it represents and the things that go on there and still say, well, I don't care. I'm going to participate in it anyway. I love going to the haunted house. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
Well, you might like hell, too. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying. But, you know, here's the thing. And, and you know, if your kids want candy, go buy them some candy. But uh, you can do other things than, than be a part of Halloween that is not godly. <laughs> I mean, you can go to the movies, go bowling, turn off your porch light and watch a TV on, you know, watch, watch a movie on TV or something. But take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness and, ex- and instead expose them. And so we don't do trunk or treat. We don't do, you know, all those things because we're not participating in that. And I know, I know. Listen, you know, some churches say, well, look, they're going to be out anyway. It's a great time to evangelize and witness. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm just not there with it. So what we, what we do, what we should be doing is praying because that is a, an evil spiritual warfare holiday. And I don't think that most of us even know the wickedness and the things that take place during that holiday. You know, the interesting thing, it's the day before All Saints Day. (laughs) How many people celebrate All Saints Day? How many people even know about All Saints Day, right? And so, here again, the world doesn't understand. They're, They're caught in a quagmire. They're caught in this trap. They may not even recognize the evil that's around them. And yet, God is calling us to not, take, not be a part of that, but expose those. And you can do that in love. You can do that in grace. Or, are you going to the Halloween party? No, I, I don't really participate in that. Well, why? Lots of good candy, man. And I'll, I'll tell you honestly, having a tall moment here, my wife and I, we used to host Halloween parties. I used to get dressed up and do all that stuff, have fun, party. But then we, we begin to learn the truth about Halloween. And we don't do that anymore. And so part of what we do is we want to give you the truth. As followers of Christ, fasting and praying should be part of our life. Fasting and prayer draws us closer to God's presence. There he may bring exposure and insight into our lives. So as we seek Him, as we press into Him, then we are, God is doing something in our heart and life. And He can bring exposure to us that, that maybe we didn't even realize that we had in our lives. So He can deal with those things. So we can give those things up to Him. Last week, I gave some examples about some of the things that we see going on in the world around us. A lady in England arrested for praying silently in front of an abortion clinic. She wasn't rioting. She wasn't doing anything. And then I talked about uh, in in Virginia how uh, a a man stood up at the board meeting where all this sexual immorality and sexual uh, abuse was happening in the schools and uh, uh, the, the, the school board wasn't doing anything about it. The director and somebody else on the school board got indicted because of what was happening in the school. And, and, and so he quoted some scripture. And then this guy passed around a petition saying, well, uh, hate speech shouldn't be allowed at the board meetings. And quoting scripture is hate speech. And this morning I saw on the news where a six-year-old shot a teacher. Oh, let's see, where was that at? That was in Virginia. 
Do you see? The spiritual realm impacts the physical realm, and the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm. Intimacy with Jesus Christ is our goal and target. Godly love is the catalyst for true change. My third point is God is doing a new thing. We see uh, when we go back and read in the Old Testament that Judah, the, uh, the people in Judah, were not following the Lord. They were disobeying God. And the prophets of God were calling them back. They kept saying, hey, come back to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. And Isaiah is calling the nation of Judah back to God. And a hundred years before they go into captivity for their continual disobedience to the Lord, he gives them a word. They're going to go into captivity, but he says, he gives them a word of hope. And he says, well, I, let me say this first. Even though this was a hundred years before, they knew the writings of the prophets. And so when they went through this captivity of, by Babylon, they, they still had the word of God. And they still had the writings of Isaiah. And so I believe this was a strong word for them, but I believe it's a word for us today, too. Uh, he reminded them of their victories and deliverance from Egypt. He reminded them about how he parted the sea and he drowned the Egyptian army. So Isaiah was reminding, him, reminding them about all of these things. But look what he says in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He says, but forget all that. <laughs> it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Are you kidding me? That was pretty significant. Sustaining them in the desert for 40 years and all the things that he did. And, and Isaiah is saying, but the Lord is saying, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. Now this is a hundred years before they, they go into captivity. Maybe that was part of the new thing. But no, maybe it was to get their attention turned back to him. Because sometimes that's what it takes. I pray that this nation doesn't have to completely deteriorate before it turns back to God. It shouldn't. We have believers. We can pray. We can pray for this nation. We can pray for the people around us. And he says, for I'm about to do something new. Look at the signs around us. People are looking for an authentic relationship with the Lord. And there are people in your life that you have a sphere of influence with that nobody in the entire earth has, a, has that kind of relationship with. And so you have a great opportunity to be the light, to share the hope and the love of Christ with them, if you will. The Lord told me directly and has told me through uh, many words of prophecy that this ministry will reach hundreds and thousands of people. And that we've been told that many people will be healed in a greater measure. I believe that God is giving us, preparing us to be new wineskins so we can hold the new wine and the things that he wants to do. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin because it can't contain it. It can't handle it. And so God is doing something new. And he's doing something new in our hearts and lives, I believe, because there's a great need for it. And if you've been coming here for a while, you know that for years we've been praying for a Jesus revival. 
praying for God to do something in this area. Let me read on in Isaiah 43, 19 continues. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? Let me ask you, do you sense anything in your spirit? Do you sense anything like rising up? Do you sense any kind of urgency? Do you sense like, hey, you know, the Lord has been speaking to us on Sunday mornings and in life groups, and the Lord has been giving us words that we need to prepare. Do you sense any kind of urgency in your life? Because I do. And it's, it's interesting, for years, I've been thinking that we're stepping over the threshold into something new. And I thought I was there, and, and each, you know, as, as I grow and, and, and lean on the Lord, I feel like we're, we're more and more, uh, uh, we're closer to stepping over that threshold. And so Isaiah is saying to them, and I think he's saying to us today, see, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I mean, let's take off our blinders for a moment, and let's just look at the world around us. Look at the people around us. They need some hope. Isaiah 43, 19 continues, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. There have been many prophecies and words that have been spoken over this church, but there's also been a number of, of prophecies that have been spoken over this region where God is going to move powerfully. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss that. I believe that God has a calling for specific regions. I didn't know this until recently, but how many of you are familiar with the Azusa Street Revival that happened in the early 1900s? The guy, I think his, his last name was Seymour. I forget his first name. Anyway, the guy that, uh, that God worked through to start that revival to change this country, that's where I think the, the Pentecostal came, movement came from, the Assemblies of God, some of these denominations, they begin to see the Holy Spirit move in power. And I learned that that guy was in the Houston area. He, he wanted to bring the revival to this area 120-something years ago. And he couldn't find a church that would allow him to meet. And he knew somebody in California, and they say, hey, I've got this building over here if you want to come out here. That's where the Azusa Street Revival began. But see, I believe that it was supposed to be here. And I think it still can be here 127 years later because I think God still has a purpose and plan for us and not just for our church and this region. But what if we're sensing the call of the Lord that He wants to do something new? For years we've been praying. Lord God, we're praying for Jesus' revival that you just pour out. We go out to the property and we pray, Lord, let your presence be here. We pray for this venue. We pray for you. We pray for our government, federal, state, local. We pray for Israel. And I believe God is in the process of doing something new. But I think He's looking for people that are willing to yield to that newness. Are you ready? 
I believe church and ministry will look different in the future. Would, would you be okay with God doing something different? No, 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 really. Would you be okay with God doing something different? When we get into our new venue, people that maybe don't look like us, don't smell like us, are we willing to help people? And we really need discernment on how we're going to help people. We get calls sometimes, hey, I, I need $100. I need my rent. And, you know, you can pay somebody's rent. You can give them $100. They can go get another fix or whatever. But we, they need more than that. They need Jesus. And so if we're going to be helping people, we have to really know how to help people. We have to be willing to help people. Anybody can throw a $100 bill at somebody and say, okay, yeah, here, go and be blessed. So I want us to really be praying and thinking about the future and what God is calling us to do because he's wanting to do some changes. He's, there's a shift going on, and we want to be ready. We want to be prepared, and we want to be right smack dab in the middle of what God is doing. This very well could be the end days. I don't know. The word says nobody know. Nobody knows when the Lord's coming back, but he spoke a word to, to me last year that are we ready for his return? Remember that? And he said, I'm coming soon. I don't know what that means. Maybe he's physically coming for a second return, or maybe he's coming by the power of his Holy Spirit to see him move throughout the earth, throughout our lives, and through the people that we have contact with. I don't know. But I know this. I know I want to be ready. I know I want us to be ready for whatever the Lord has. Intimacy with Jesus Christ is our goal and target. Godly love is the catalyst for true change. God is doing a new thing. Are you open to that? Will you receive what he wants to do? I like